Hello, everybody, and welcome to an all-new episode of Press YYZ. We're the only Canadian gaming podcast that you can catch live on Twitch every Wednesday at 8 p.m. EST, as well as on podcast services and YouTube every Thursday. Uh, I am your host for this evening, Alexander Kazina, and I am joined today by the one and only head of HR, Nathan McInerney. Yo, what's going on, Cozy? Uh, Metroid is going on, uh, but we will be saving uh, our Metroid talk for a little bit later in the show because, you know, something as prestigious and beloved and salivated over, you know, needs to be waited on for it to be fully savored and enjoyed. Um, before we get started, uh, a reminder is always that we here at ProSwise stand against discrimination of any kind. While we appreciate however you choose to give back to our show, uh, there's no better way to support us than by being excellent to each other. Uh, with that out of the way, uh, a quick little bit of housekeeping. Nathan, uh, you are going to sure. be playing a little bit of Psychonauts 2 on Thursday. I almost said Psychotots. Which I don't really. That's like the the like baby offshoot of Psychonauts that they market to like younger kids. Yes, that's what my boys would be playing, a hundred percent. But yeah, uh, Psychonauts too. I, I I actually for whatever reason I had gotten in my head that you had already beaten this game, but clearly there's a little bit left to go. Honestly, I don't think I've played it since I streamed it last. So hmm. it was my game to play for stream. Unfortunately, I've had a bad few weeks for consistent streaming and a game I wanted to play um, because it was still pretty brand new and wanted to get a chance to play it on stream. So, um, yeah, no, I I think I'm going to continue playing this one until I finish it uh, on stream. It's kind of my goal. Hmm. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I, I am also going to be uh, playing something on stream uh, this upcoming Monday. Uh, exactly what I'm going to be playing uh, is as of yet undecided, but I figured I'd uh, just get that in there uh, real quick, considering that I feel like typically whenever we do these, uh, you know, quick little bites at the beginning of the podcast, we always talk about what you're playing, but I feel like I don't mention what I'm playing because it's always like mm. a couple of days, well, almost a week from when we record the podcast. So Mondays at 8 p.m. EST, go check out twitch.tv slash pressyz then as well to see what I am up to. Uh, like I said at the top of the podcast, um, yep. we've both been playing uh, a lot of a certain uh, sci-fi action platforming series uh, that is developed and published by Nintendo. Uh, but we're Is it Yoshi's to- Yoshi? Uh, I don't know if you'd really classify Yoshi as sci-fi. He's a dinosaur. Is is are dinosaurs sci-fi? I thought dinosaurs were sci-fi. In any case, uh, we're going to be holding off on that for just a bit, just so that we can get some of the other things that we've been up to out of the way, uh, such as, uh, for example, uh, if you recall, last time that I did Press YZ, I talked about how uh, I was going to be making Snakequake the official carrot cake. Uh, as part of a marathon live stream over on my cooking t- channel, twitch.tv slash Live. Uh, and lo and behold, a week later, uh, Snakequake, the official carrot cake, uh, has been completed. Uh, right now, you're seeing a v- quick video that I recorded uh, of the entirety of the cake in its complete form. Uh, no, lo- It is no longer, unfortunately, quite as complete as it looks right here because I had to cut it up into smaller chunks and keep it stored uh, in my fridge and freezer. But yeah, this was one hell of a live stream. I thought I could complete it in seven hours. It actually took me a total of... Uh, 
eight additional hours after the live stream ended to put all the little details and accoutrements on the carrot cake. Um, wow. Be- beyond what I initially kind of painted on it during the stream. So a total of like 15 hours. Uh, it unfortunately kind of ate away at a lot more of my weekend. And for that reason, I was not able to play as much of Metroid Dread as I would have wanted to. Uh, but yeah, I'm quite pleased with the results. This is like far and away the most ambitious uh kind of culinary creation I've ever worked on. And I think I am quite pleased. And uh, many members of the Comedy Button, uh, mm-hmm. the podcast that this is uh, riffing off of, uh, actually got a chance to see this thing on the Twitterverse and the Facebook. So I'd say it's a pretty, I'd say it's a, a pretty big uh, home run accomplishment. I feel like saying uh, home run kind of implies like, a like outlandish incredible success and i kind of i'm trying to be humble about it but i think i did a good job no it's it's phenomenal cozy um i was noticing i saw it on twitter and i saw uh people even like anthony carboni and stuff were uh messaging about it too which was nice so yeah i know um yeah it's pretty good oh there's max is that a raccoon no that's his dog right no yeah that's his uh dog peppers because in the lore of snake quake uh, which is uh, the fictitious movie uh, from the comedy button that this whole carrot cake scene is based off of. Uh, two characters called Crime, uh, sorry, Cool Criminal and his dog Crime get married at the end. So I cast uh, Max and Peppers in the roles of Cool Criminal and Crime. Oh, which is why neat. we see them on that little like marriage stage at the end there. Yeah, no, it's it's super fantastic. Uh, the cake looks awesome. I can't believe the amount of time that you put into it. Um, you've done some really cool stuff this year. So thank you uh, on Cozy's Bears cooking, and that's the end of season two, correct? Yeah. What I was thinking is like, I'm thinking that when I eventually do season three of Cozy Bears cooking, it's going to be like quite substantially different from whatever season one and season two were, but I do want to do like an intermediary season between seasons two and three. That's a little bit more like season two, but like done kind of sparsely like here and there, like only whenever I have like a good meal to create. And I was thinking of calling this intermediary season, like uh, season 2.8 final, like chat season prologue or whatever, or next season prologue. Uh, And then you could put inter something in there. Yeah. Yeah. season 2.8 intermission next season prologue or whatever yeah i think i think it'd be a mouthful but i think it'd be funny you can even instead of using intermission just use intercourse i still think that could be a final fantasy name at some point i mean you're making i gotta say nathan you you, your uh, food pun is pretty on uh on point today intercourse Mm -hmm. like the course of a meal a whole mouthful like the yeah. many foods that I make. Yes. Um, the mouthful was not intended, but the intercourse was. So mm. go me. Hell yeah. Uh, I do also want to talk a little bit about a game that I played yesterday here on twitch.tv slash press YZ, uh, by the name of Halo three ODST. Isn't it now, called ODST? Unf- I didn't think it was Halo three ODST. I, I see I was just about to say I regret the fact that AJ was not able to join us tonight because I would have loved to talk with AJ about everything that this game has to offer because I have 
many a thought thus far from my from what little time I've played with it. This game is definitely not exactly what I thought it was going to be. You have not played this game, correct? Nathan? No, no, I've not. Halo, I still need to get around. I started one and then stopped early last year and I need to go back to it and try and get them all done. So Halo 3 ODST is like I, I went into it expecting something akin to like a Halo 3 like experience, but your character is a little bit more pared down and a little bit weaker. You have to work together with a squad, uh, you know, with greater efficiency than you would in the past. You can't really kind of solo it the way that you can in the mainline Halo games. And what I got instead is like way more elaborate and stranger and different than that. You're like wandering around New Mombasa, which is the city that gets destroyed in Halo 2, and you see parts of in Halo 3. There's like a map system, which I just uh, brought up here on stream, mm -hmm. that you use to like set white points and find people. There's like intel and audio diaries. You're like finding these old uh, kind of transmissions that were left by your team before they died earlier in the day. The narrative is like constantly moving backwards and forwards through time. Uh, again, I'm extremely motivated to talk to AJ about this because I'm sure he'll be able to kind of parse through all my thoughts and kind of help explain what was going on with this game at the time of its release. But like, from my perspective, this game very much feels like Bungie spent a decade making Halo games and was like desperate to make something that wasn't a Halo game. And they were like, all right, we can't not make a Halo game but we can make a Halo game that feels unlike any prior Halo games, because that's what this game feels like. It's like the Halo gunplay and combat that you know, but inside of a very weird and unusual shell that feels like it's kind of taking a lot of cues from a lot of other like open world and action games at the time. There's even a, a brief moment where you have to like activate your helmet's visor and do a bit of like almost like Batman Arkham detective moding. Uh, with it to uncover a mystery um, and I'm not saying that this game is a ripoff of Batman Arkham Asylum because it actually came out the same year as that game so timeline wise I don't know that it would have worked out like that but it's it, it's it's interesting okay. as I've already said there, well, this I was not expecting this game to be nearly as experimental as it is yeah, no, 100%. Um, this is, so this is first time hearing about ODST being different than other Halo games. So that's um, interesting to see. Uh, and based on what you're saying, it sounds more like it has some Bioshock vibes to it. Like with audio diaries and the way, like it's yeah. trying storytelling. And again, talking about, you know, Bungie being influenced by other games around it, I feel like that would actually make a lot of sense timeline-wise mm -hmm. because... You know, the original Bioshock comes out in 2007. This game comes out 2009. Yeah. I feel like it kind of, yeah, it makes, it kind of lines up in that way. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I know. Based on what you're saying, it, like, I definitely get that vibe from what you're talking about story-wise. Um, that actually makes me more interested to play this this one potentially down the line. Um, but okay, and super interesting. No, uh, I'm curious. Uh, you're still playing it, so we'll get a chance to talk to AJ about it down the line. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, earlier, I said that, you know, I wasn't entirely certain uh, what I was going to be playing on stream come Monday. Uh, it's partially because, like, I don't necessarily know if I want to play the rest of this game on stream. It's interesting, but, like, I think I want to... You could see over the course of the stream myself getting 
progressively more and more tired as uh, the night went on. And I don't know if that's mm. just because I had a late night of sleep the day prior or I was just sort of like not really vibing with the game. Either way, I think I want to try something a little bit different, but I certainly at this point, I will complete the game, just maybe not on stream. Yeah, no, hey, that's completely cool. You're burning through these Halo games. How long are you finding each one taking you? Um, Halo 2 and Halo 3 both took me about like three to four streams and each stream was like between two to four hours. So like I'd say yeah, estimated like like eight to ten hours, I'd say about that. Eight to ten hours? Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, well, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's... It, it, here's the thing. Like if I played these games like just on the weekend, like if I was like, all right, I'm going to devote an entire day to just playing through Halo 3, Halo ODST, I would fly through the series in a heartbeat. Like I would, I, I could easily complete the entire series within the span of a week if I devoted the time to it. But, you know, I don't really want to do that. Um, but at the same time, I do want to see if I can get through the entire series before um, Infinite. Infinite comes out. So I might have to hustle a little bit at the end. Mm -hmm. well you're not far away because what do you have four and five left so we yeah after halo odst we got halo reach which i don't want to skip out on because oh yeah that one has a lot of cachet with people to this very day yep uh then there's halo 4 uh and then there's halo 5 and then where things get complicated is there's halo wars which i did start but i never finished and halo wars one does not necessarily have a lot of relevancy to like the plot over the overall halo series however halo wars 2 actually directly connects to the plot of halo infinite and so now it's this kind of thing where it's like hmm do i want to play halo wars 1 so that i'm better prepared for halo wars 2 so that i'm better prepared for infinite there are definitely a few questions that need to be answered gotcha okay makes sense yeah all right well let's you know, transition from one sci-fi series to the next, the two of us, uh, myself, Alexander Kazina, and you, Nathan McInerney, have been playing a lot of Metroid as of recent. That's going to be the topic of the show for this week. Sorry to anyone else that wanted a goofy fun factory where we rank the top 15 video game dogs. We're only talking Metroid this time around. So everybody else that didn't want that can leave. Everybody else... Take a seat and let us regale us with our Metroid thoughts. Can we rank the uh, Metroids? I've been talking. Who knows? Maybe we might. Uh, <laughs> I want to start with you, Nathan. Yes. Uh, in part because I've been, you know, more or less hogging up uh, all the airwaves for the first half of this podcast. Um, you just beat Super Metroid for the yes. first time. First time. Um, first time. First time. I want to know because. Uh, I previously discussed uh, AJ's history with the Metroid series uh, last time that we were on the podcast together. I don't believe that I've ever gotten your Metroid history, however. No. So what's the rundown? There isn't much. Um, I missed out on the Metroid games when I was a kid. It wasn't games my parents bought me. You kind of got the games your parents bought you when you were a kid. Um, mm. And Super Metroid, Metroid was not in that. Although, ironically, as I was a subscriber to Nintendo Power, that was a magazine. And for you kids who don't know what magazines are, they are pieces of paper that were mailed to you and you could look at fun articles and such. Um, mm. But 
I had the strategy guide for Super Metroid, and I remember reading through it, and actually some of that came into play, I don't know, 30 years down the line. <laughs> as like I played. you remembered things from the strategy guide, basically? Yes, I remember things from the strategy guide from 30 years ago I read um, about the game. Um, but I never played it. And then when I think it hit the Wii or the Wii U, maybe... Um, definitely on the Switch uh, or on the Super Nintendo Mini or my Super Famicom Mini. Sorry, mine's a Famicom. Um, I gave it a try and I noped out pretty quickly because I did was not vibing with the controls. I hmm. got through the spaceship. I landed on the planet and it just wasn't working for me. Um, hmm. And I don't know what it was that was clicking in there, but I just was like, eh. It, like old games old let's play new games let's um go but with all the talk of metroid you guys did last week and one of the youtubers i follow um uh, uh maximilian dude who typically does fighting game content um i follow mm. a lot of his fighting game content he did a full playthrough of super metroid now he's doing it for dread and he'd never played metroid a uh, super metroid either and i was like you know what i should probably play super metroid um as well and get that off my belt so i decided to put i was at my in-laws i didn't have any other consoles with me i had my switch and you talked about like playing a game like all weekend that's kind of what i did sunday and monday with me finishing it saturday morning in front of my kids so they could check out um uh check out what we were uh, uh or sorry watch the ending uh partially because mm -hmm. i was angry that i died against the final boss um and then played the next morning so yeah so i started it sunday i finished uh tuesday morning very early in the morning but i probably could have finished it tuesday night so hmm. um but yeah so i've got opinions on the game so this is a game that people consider a master class in gaming and it's perfect and it doesn't need to be changed are these things you've hmm. heard cozy I have, and like I don't want to kind of cut you off or prevent you from, you know, sharing your thoughts. Uh, yeah, but I do kind of want to ask right off the bat, like, oh sure, you know, touching on this game being a masterclass in gaming that doesn't need to be changed. Like, that's what people often say. But although I do still hold Super Metroid in very high regard, I don't think that a lot of people kind of realize the ways in which Super Metroid can feel a little bit dated nowadays. I feel like going back to Super Metroid after having played some of the more recent Metroid games, even something like Metroid Fusion from the early 2000s, can feel a little bit weird in the same way that it feels weird to go back to uh, Super Mario World after playing, say, some of the more modern Mario's like new super Mario bros, you, for example. Now I know that, you know, as you, you yourself have stated, Nathan, you have not played many other Metroid games to compare, but I know that you have played other Metroidvania games, yes. like the Guacamelee games, for example, playing this game. Did you find that your experience having played games like Guacamelee made super Metroid a little bit more tough to enjoy? Yeah, and I think that's one of the big problems. Like, we talk about Guacamelee, Guacamelee to um, uh, Axiom Verge, which, now that I've played Super Metroid, I understand the Metroid comparisons to Axiom Verge. 
It's mm. really a Metroid game in almost every way, and even in like design and creature creation and like the world, like the solitary world you're on, like so much of it right. feels like that. Um, it's it's a love letter to Metroid, and at a time when they weren't going to make another 2D Metroid game because it Axiom Verge. Mm. Uh, came out in 2015, I believe. It was my game of the year 2015, right. and I loved it. Um, but there's modern things that this, like that, these games did that obviously Super Metroid doesn't do. It's 30 years old. Um, but it's some of those things. Like when I go back to it, and we're talking about some of the current games. Like let's talk about the map for a second. The map in Super Metroid is not great. It doesn't, um, like keep track of items you have gotten or haven't gotten. Uh, it doesn't let you know where doors like if you've got like a see a yellow door which needs to be opened by a power bomb there's like you have to wander around the world till you find that door again unless you're making your own physical notes did you did you by any chance ever try the original metroid nathan no i didn't okay um, so that's that's one of those interesting things you know comparing your experience with super metroid with my experience where i i feel like i definitely tried the original metroid at some point before i tried super metroid and going from that game to Super was revelatory because if you think that the map in Super Metroid is bad, wait until you play the original Metroid where there is no map and you literally just have to like write everything down and rely yeah. on memorization. And so it's this kind of thing where like, I totally understand what you're saying. I totally agree with it. But like all that I think of when I think about the Super Metroid map is like, oh man, what a massive improvement that was over the original Metroid. Yeah, I know. And that's Th that's sort of the perspective that I come at from it. A hundred percent. And that's completely um possible too. Like and to be honest, have I tried Metroid? Yeah, at some point I put Metroid on and I did try it, but it wasn't something that ever stuck. Uh, stuck. Also, hmm. as a kid, actually I should reference by because I said I had no Metroid experience. That's not a hundred percent true. I did um play Metroid Samus Returns on Game Boy. A friend lent it to me, but I got very Return confused. Return of Samus. Return of Samus, sorry. Yeah, um, it was originally called Return of Samus on yeah. the Game Boy, and then the remake was called Samus Returns. Gotcha. I played Return of Samus on Game Boy, but got very confused and didn't understand the concept of a Metroidvania at that point. So, hmm. um, but I probably put like a, quite a few hours into it, just wandering around, continually killing myself in liquid. Uh, right uh as i drowned um or got killed by magma so but yeah no so like i said i think playing some of the more recent super metroids the other thing that drove me crazy so i i don't know why and is i don't know if it's like this on the super nintendo but the buttons i had to change the configuration of because the jump and the shoot were in weird places they were on the mm. the jump was the not the bottom button what's the switch controller there's a b and there's, y x uh yeah so that's correct. I think the jump and the shoot were mapped to YX. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, and I moved them down to AB, which felt much more comfortable. I moved my dash to yeah. the one on the other side. And then I took the item select and actually moved it to the shoulder buttons, which felt better. Um, mm. But w instead of having it, because your shoulder buttons were supposed to be for aiming diagonally, which felt completely weird up or down. I would have mm. rather see one button just dedicated to holding Samus in place. And then you can mm. aim whatever way you want to with your stick or D-pad mm. at that point. Um, 
like just like the controls in general everything just felt a little bit slower a little bit off and it's a 30 year old game so no fault to that like it's definitely playable Mm -hmm. but i think when people say it's perfect and like because i think a few small tweaks here and there could make this it's a really good game it's cinematic it tells story very interestingly um it's still a really cool world um but a few tweaks in the controls and updating that map system i think could go a long way Hmm. I, um, you know, I don't want to force uh, an answer out of you that doesn't exist, but, you know, we have been a little bit critical of this game for the past few minutes. Yep. What did you uh, walk away from Super Metroid, like, really enjoying? Was there anything from that game that you were like, oh, I definitely see, like, why people really kind of come to this game and still love it after all these years? This is oh. something that I really dug. So the exploration is really good. Uh, the world is laid out really, really well. Um, the tools, you get them all at the right times. The x-ray tool is amazing once you get it because you're thinking, how am I ever going to find this stuff? I didn't even know. I couldn't, didn't remember an x-ray tool existed where you could like look through the walls and see like, right. where the hidden chambers was. Um, so that was really cool. I think the cinematic feel and the way it told storytelling um, was really interesting throughout the game. Uh, specifically, I guess, towards the end, because you don't really get an ending for the game. You get like a final screen flies away. Right. Um, but the ending's kind of told when depending you're battling. on And depending on how quick you complete the game, Samus may appear in more or less clothes as well. Don't forget about that. Yes. Yeah, I have heard that. Um, yeah, also, apparently, saving the animals is a thing which my kids told me about when I beat the game. Right. Um, and I did not save the animals. Uh, they were a little oh, no. disappointed in me. I didn't know that was a thing I could do. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think, uh, I love the world. I love the cinematic feel to it. I love the, um, isolation of it. The weapons are really cool. Uh, the power-ups, like everything was hidden really cool. I love, like I talked about Axiom Verge. I had, and I've told the story on this podcast before, but I had Axiom Verge a month before it came out. And I got mm-hmm. 96% complete in that game because all I did was go around different rooms, trying teleporting through ceilings and walls and like went to that minute. And there was no guides at that point. So I really was just like trying to find everything on my own um, as much as I could when I was playing that game. And I feel like that's something I could have done with Metroid. If somebody hadn't told me that we were going to not be able to leave a room once I got to a certain point Mm. and go back to look for anything else. Mm. So, Mm. so like, uh, overall though, looking forward, you, even though your experience playing Super Metroid wasn't the most positive thing that it could have been, are you still looking forward to experiencing more of what the Metroid series has to offer? Yeah. Or do you feel like this game kind of put a bit of a damper on mm. your excitement? No, like, here's the deal. I enjoyed it. Like, I played it over two days. I completed it. Like, what, in mm. like seven hours? Um, right. Which I feel pretty solid about on a first run with no guides. Well, that weren't 30 years old stuck in my head. Uh, uh, so I, I'm pretty positive on the game. I'm not negative on it. I just think that there's tweaks that can be made to bring it to a newer generation because it's available for anybody to play. But I think like my kids might struggle with the control schemes 
getting used mm. to it. Um, and I just think some quality of life things could happen, but I'm really positive on the game. So what does that leave for the future of future me- of Super Metroid for me? I'd like to try and play Zero Mission and Fusion, mm. I guess. Is your plan to, uh, you want to play them in that order? Maybe. Zero Mission is the first, the remake of the first one. Am I correct? Yes. And Fusion is four? Fusion is four, yes. So, um, like, it's not about the story. It's about, the like, just the gameplay. I love the Metroidvania-style gameplay uh, in them. So I'll probably take a chance to try and tackle them um, in a bit. Uh, although I don't know how I'm going to really play either of them because they're not really easily playable on any modern systems. So, yeah. you know, Wii U not including. Yes, uh, I sold my Wii U a while back. Yeah. Um so I don't know. I'll have to figure out what I do there and how I do that. And maybe I know this is a buzzword because of Kotaku, but maybe I'll have to do some form of emulation to play them on a stream or something. Yeah. Uh it needs to be, you know, with regards to the whole emulation debate discussion, like uh, undeniably, undeniably emulation definitely helped keep uh, the Metroid name alive for, you know, quite a period of time. Mm-hmm. There was a very long period of time after the release of Super Nintendo on the Super... Uh, wait, hold on. I, I'm getting my names confused here. Everything's Super. There was a very long period of time after the release of Super Metroid on the Super Nintendo in the mid-1990s uh, where, uh, you know, you could not gain easy access to that game. It was only uh, until the advent of the virtual console on the original Wii, where you could readily, legally play Super Metroid again. And during that time, like there's no doubt that emulators played a large part in allowing many people to play Super Metroid. And like in that regard, like obviously, clearly, emulators have a place in video game history and have a place in Metroid history that's, you know, very important. And I do want to commend that but like yeah if if it's a game that literally just came out and you know you're kind of fingers crossed that that game sells well so that you'll continue to get more you know expansive high quality metroid experiences in the future maybe don't emulate it yeah i can't argue that um i think well if we're talking about things metroid before we get into your experiences with dread because i know you've been waiting for this for a long time um Yeah, it was it was a bad article, um, and they had to retread yeah. on it, um, say that's not what they meant, and go back. Honestly, Kotaku started with a new editor, main main editor. They just hired a new one, and I haven't been impressed since she's taken over. They seem to do a lot of like clickbait, clickbait, like worse than they used to. More like get rage up articles. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's not, n- nothing bad with, you know, taking a step back and being like, hey, you know, we meant something one way, but maybe we went a little bit too hard in what we were trying to communicate. And we were wrong in that. And let's, you know, have a conversation and try and, you know, figure out a solution that will make everyone happy. Um, moving on from Kotaku, though, because yep. let's talk Metroid. Let's keep the conversation 100%. positive. Uh yeah, I, I do want to kind of briefly go back to like your feature interest in Metroid games. Like uh, you mentioned wanting to play Metroid Zero Mission first, followed by Fusion. Uh, I think that's a totally uh, fair route to take. Personally, like part of me 
would say that maybe you should play the games in chronological order of release, even though you would be playing them out of order in terms of narrative, just because you can kind of appreciate the kind the of growth, narr- uh, the growth and like mechanical improvements that each game uh, brings to the series. And you don't find yourself being like, oh man, I kind of miss this, miss this one thing uh, that was introduced in Metroid Zero Mission that is lacking in Metroid Fusion because Fusion came out before Zero Mission. But uh, I'd say that it's it's not that big of a deal which order you play those two games in. Uh, I will say, you know, if playing Metroid Dread is sort of uh, on the horizon for you, if that's like something that you eventually want to get to, I would say that it's pretty imperative that you get around to playing uh, Metroid Samus Returns, the 3DS remake, before you do so. Okay. Um, I, I will not be getting into any like super major uh, Metroid Dread spoilers on this podcast, but I will say like there is a lot of narrative stuff that they added into Metroid Samus Returns that ties directly into Metroid Dread, and like the end of Metroid Samus Returns is stick with me because this is a bit of a long winded comparison, but I feel mm-hmm. like it's very apt. Okay. Um, earlier this year, uh, a little game by the name of Hitman Three came out. And I've not played Hitman 3 myself, but I've I'm listened aware. to a lot of the, you know, dialogue and conversation that's been had about that particular game. And one thing that people talk about is like, yeah, the final mission of the game uh, kind of breaks a little bit with the Hitman formula. It's less of a like traditional mm-hmm. Hitman stealth game and more like this sort of like action set piece. I've heard this. And people have argued that it's possible that this action set piece uh, was IO Interactive teasing what they have in store with their upcoming James Bond game. Possibly, you know, depending on how things worked out timeline-wise, maybe it was even what they used to convince the owners of James Bond to give them the license. They showed them this sequence and said, hey, wouldn't you love to see James Bond star in a set piece like this one? Mm-hmm. Um, with that in mind, like, the final, I, I want to say, like, 5 to 10% of uh, Metroid Samus Returns is very similar in that 90% of that game is, I don't want to say like a super faithful remake of Metroid Return of Samus on the Game Boy, but it's quite slavish to the source material. And as a result, I think that the design suffers a little bit. But in the final 5 to 10% of the game, the re- the game really kind of kicks it up a notch and has a number of set pieces in close succession that are very much having now played Metroid Dread, like, oh, hey, this is what you can look forward to in Metroid Dread. This is what we have in store for the future uh, of Mm. this series. And I think a lot of people at the time didn't really know that because Metroid Dread was not really something that anyone ever thought would happen. I think a lot of people assumed, okay, we're just going to get this Metroid Samus Returns remake and that'll be that. Um, but now, looking at these two games in concert, looking at these two games as, you know, one project that behooved the other, like, that makes so much more sense. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, now that you're saying that, because I have heard that comparison about Hitman and it seeming like a trial for James Bond, essentially, saying, here's what we can do with the franchise. Um, mm. So, yeah, no, 100%. Uh, that does sound like uh, something that could happen here. And I'm excited to hear that about, because I know Metroid... Two wasn't one of the most well-liked games. I think there were quite a few issues with it when it was on Game Boy. 
if I remember correctly. There was a fan-made project who was remaking that at one point that Nintendo shut down. Am I correct? Yeah, a- AM2R, which uh, a lot of Metroid fans still like hold in very, very high regard today. I think that a-, a degree of them holding it in high regard is a way of kind of kind of spiting Nintendo for kind of, you know, not really acknowledging it and taking it down. But from what I've heard, it is like genuinely a really good experience. So if you're a fan of AM2R, please don't come at me. Please don't come at me. I I thought it was the ASMR, but I think that's something different. Yeah. It sounds very similar, <laughs> though. People have definitely made the joke. Uh, yeah, the original, like to kind of give the quick rundown, the original uh, version of Metroid 2 on the Game Boy uh, has kind of a weird, unique problem in that the Samus sprite in that game is a little bit too big. And what that means is that mm. you just don't have a lot of real estate on the screen at any given point to show a lot of what's going on in the game. Gotcha. And that means that it's just, it's kind of um like it, you don't really kind of get that maze-like kind of labyrinthian feel of the original Metroid or of any other Metroid games out there. Um, I will say, however, uh, as somebody that, you know, tried out both Metroid, the original and Metroid 2, uh, the Game Boy version of the two, I actually uh, was able to connect with Metroid 2 more and actually beat it like quite a few years ago without even really relying on much of a guide just because it's like much more linear of an experience compared to the original Metroid. It's pretty Mm. straightforward in terms of where you need to go once you kind of wrap your head around its old school design. So there is that going for it. Awesome. Yeah, no, yeah. Like I said, I'm excited to dive a little more into the series down the line. Maybe when we get to break, uh, Christmas break, Mm -hmm. and I have a bit of time off, I'll jump into the um, get, I guess fusion then zero mission done and then go to i have three ds's in my house so playing i just need to get a copy of um um mm-hmm. samus returns but you don't have a 3ds that you purchased at the very beginning of the console's life cycle do you no <laughs> no so you don't have the uh compensatory copy of metroid fusion that was given to people who were early adopters. I do not. In fact, actually, I purposely didn't buy a 3DS because I was a PlayStation guy. And wait, was that when the PSP mm. was out? It was, this would have been like 2011, I think, I believe. I don't know. I, yes. I thought it, th- it, was, it was 2011. It was 2011. I thought the th- 3DS was overpriced and underbaked. Um, yeah. And partially, I think that's kind of <laughs> netted out correctly because of what happened. It's funny you say it was uh, underbaked because the original 3DS model kind of looked like a layer cake. Yeah. Like there was like the bottom layer, the mid layer, the top layer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that original console was interesting. Their handhelds, specifically uh, the 3DS and the DS, had really bad first revisions in how they looked. Because uh, even the yeah. D- the original DS was an ugly looking thing. It wasn't until the DSi that they made it, made it look good. Yeah, I think the problem was, I think their first revisions tried to lean a little bit too heavily in the previous uh, console that preceded them. Like the original mm-hmm. uh, DS looked a little bit too much like a Game Boy Advance. Original 3DS, I think, looked a little bit too much like a DS. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once they got away from them, I think that things definitely improved. Uh, uh, one more thing that I want to touch on before I jump into my experience playing metroid dread yeah 100 percent. where does your experience slash interest lie in the prime games 
So I have no experience in the Prime games. I miss them completely. Um, mm. GameCube was something I got at a much later point. Mm. Um, actually, I think I have one of the Prime games upstairs, the third one. But yeah, a friend lent it to me and never asked for it back, so I have it upstairs. Um, but it was something that I didn't feel like jumping into until I played the other ones. I keep waiting for the trilogy, although I'm not sure what I'm getting into. It's a first-person shooter, mm. but with metroidvania elements it's uh, like this is one of those big debates where i think a lot of people like to say it's a first person shooter and anyone that says it's not a first person shooter is just like a a, a nintendo fan that doesn't want to confess that one of their favorite games is a shooter because you Mm -hmm. know people in the metro in the nintendo community kind of have this stigma of like hating on shooters and whatnot but like I, i can say genuinely as somebody that has played all the Metroid Prime games, well, the mainline Metroid Prime games, and a lot of other shooters that the Metroid Prime games definitely are way more focused on exploration and Metroidvania-ness than they are on, uh, yeah, tr- shooting, for example. Yeah, I guess my only experience with like a 3D Metroidvania would be something like Arkham's Asylum. Yeah. Did you play uh, Doom 2060? No. Hmm. That that has Metroidvania elements. Well, I was going to say, like, uh, if you had played it, like Doom twenty sixteen is like very. It would be very close to the Metroid Prime games if you like were shooting maybe only half of the time. Okay. 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 Yeah. Another um another comparison I was going to give, and this is not a shooter, but like uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Mm. Uh, that game. Very, very Metroidvania in its design. Not a shooter, but like, you know, in talking about that game, I don't know that you would say, oh yeah, that game is like a super combat intensive combat first game. Combat is definitely a huge component of the game, but exploration is sort of at the head of the pack there. And that very much kind of describes the Metroid Prime games as well. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Cool. The, the um the rumors of there being a either a remake of the original Metroid Prime or a remake of the entire trilogy have been around for quite some time now. And so mm-hmm. I feel like you're probably best off just waiting for that trilogy slash remake to materialize and, and then play it there on the Switch. Um I mean if it, the the re-release of the entire trilogy as the Metroid Prime trilogy on the Wii is a great collection and if you somehow were to happen upon the means to play them there like you'll still have a great time Mm -hmm. uh, IMO but yeah you might be better off just waiting yeah okay cool well yeah I think that's something I got lots of games to play I'm not necessarily going to burn through these all right away Um, I'm patient and can play things at the right time and I don't want to space everything together so I'll probably pace it out over the next year or so and try and get them in here and there so I don't feel overwhelmed on them. Um, but yeah, no, I'm excited to dive in more. Super Metroid's a great game. You can tell it's a great game. You can, like, I've heard everything about it. Um, and it, it's really, really strong. I put, like, a bunch of solid time into it and pretty much beat it in, like, two sittings. Um so yeah in in seven hours two sittings uh i feel like that's pretty solid i know there's other people playing for the first time they're like i don't know how to get through this without a guide or how to find things and i did didn't need to use a guide so i felt pretty strong in that regard so Hmm. cool 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 yeah all right let's talk 
a little bit about a game called Metroid Dread. This is a game that I've heard of it. Many people assumed would never see the light of day. The story with this game is that supposedly it was originally being prototyped or worked on during the Game Boy Advance era, and then they shuttered that version because they didn't really feel like the Game Boy Advance could kind of pull off what they wanted to do with the game. Mm-hmm. Then it was revived during the DS era, and it's during that era that, in fact, like a small number of video game press were actually able to see like an early version slash demo of the game. Uh, Craig Harris, uh, formerly of IGN, claims to have actually seen it at like an E3 at one point. Um, but nothing kind of concrete of that version ever emerged and it was eventually canceled. And then again, like evidence is kind of very limited. Possibly the game was revived at one more time between the DS version and the switch version, but ultimately in the end, it was revived under Mercury steam and released just this past week on the Nintendo switch. Uh, And unfortunately I've not yet beaten it. Okay. I have not yet beaten it. And I'm sad to say that because this game is real, real, real good. Um, and I'm trying, I'm going to try to be as spoiler free as possible because I very much do want to do the Metroidvania spoiler cast that I teased on the episode that we had together with Snorkelies. I think that there is quite a bit to talk about in this game spoiler wise. And again, I'm not even. Uh, all the way through the game just yet. And I think that there is definitely a real good discussion to be had there. Uh, Long and short of it thus far, like Metroid Dread is, I'd say everything that I I was looking for with regards to a kind of modernized Metroid game that looks and feels the way that you would hope a modern Metroid game to feel, the way that you would hope a modern Metroid game to uh, play uh, so that it feels tight uh, and modern compared to many of its peers within the Metroidvania genre. Mm-hmm. And in such a way that like, it doesn't feel like, you know, just like another Metroidvania game, but like a really special game in its own right that leads in its genre and that other Metroidvania games can kind of look to. I know that, you know, for years, leading up to Metroid Dread's release, even before Metroid Dread was even a twinkle in anyone's eye, you know, something that I would see and hear echoed from time to time was, oh man, you know, when Metroid, the next big Metroid game does show up, like there have been so many other quality Metroidvania games in the years since. Is this game going to be able to stand out from the pack or is this game just going to be, you know, kind of just another Metroidvania. And I'll say, like, right here, right now, this game is not just a Metroidvania. This is a kind of pioneering... Pioneering sounds, like, pretty, I would say, intensive, uh, because I feel like when you talk about pioneering, you talk about a game establishing an entire genre on its own. But, like, it's a... It's definitely a leading game in its genre. Okay, okay. Uh, And, yeah, I'm very, very happy with that. I am also quite happy, and again... Uh, no uh, like deep spoilers at the moment, uh, but I am uh, quite happy at the moment uh, with uh, how much sort of story content that we've been getting from this game. Uh, I'll go more kind of in depth into this when we eventually do a spoiler cast, but there was part of me that was concerned that in the 
aftermath of Metroid Other M, Nintendo was never going to do another Metroid game that leaned heavily into story, that they were going to keep things incredibly uh, kind of story light going forward, that we were never going to get an experience that, you know, was much more complicated than what we got with something like, say, Super Metroid. And what we what I've played thus far of uh, Metroid Dread is definitely not that. It's definitely a way more complex experience uh, than I think I could have even anticipated. And I'm definitely looking forward to kind of seeing some of the questions that have not yet been answered for me answered uh, over the next few hours to follow. Well, that's exciting. Um, no, that's good to hear. It sounds like they're playing with the formula then. Mercury Steam seems to have a good grasp on the game then. Mm. Oh, yeah, for sure. And like like I said earlier, like it, it is super apparent after playing Metroid Samus Returns, which I'm really happy I was able to complete before this game came out, that like it, the team at Mercury Steam knew that they had another Metroid game in them uh, after that game's release and that they were like, we need to put something in at the end of Metroid Samus Returns to let people know, hey, like the next time that we work on a Metroid game, we are going to go all out and we're going to make something real special. Hence the, again, final five to 10 minutes of that game. Nice. So that's exciting. How much time are you being chased in Metroid? Uh, Dread. Uh, I would say it's like only like, at least in my playthrough, it's been like, 40 30% of the time. So there are these, you know, robotic en- enemies called Emmys that are pursuing Samus throughout the game for uh mysterious reasons. Uh mm-hmm. let's put it at that. And the thing is is that the Emmys are ultimately contained to these uh very kind of specific uh, areas that they cannot uh exit from. And the thing is is that once you head into uh any of the emmy zones you might as well like make the shape of the cross and say your prayers because those creatures are incredibly aggressive way more so than something like for example the sax which is a similar kind of creature that pursued you in metroid fusion um but uh there is like quite a lot to do outside of the emmy zones in terms of exploration in terms of finding new items uh and the like when you really if if you ignore like how often uh you have to die and kind of restart your progress uh in the emmy zones the amount of time that you actually spend in the emmy zones going from like one exit to the next uh is relatively small so it's actually not that much time okay because i really don't like when things chase me in games i don't like like the what's it mr x and resident evil 2 and yeah I don't like being chased in games. So that kind of gives me nightmares a little bit. So you're saying it's not bad and it's not the entire game. Then there's just specific zones that you'll be chased in. Yes. And the game uh, makes a specific point of uh, not just showing you the entrances and exits to each of the Emmy zones when you first come across it, but also the overall outline of the Emmy zone uh, itself when you first enter them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it won't show you like specific like paths and routes and like, all right, this is exactly how you get from point A to point B. But uh, the game, like the, the game, while this game is called Metroid Dread and the game definitely wants to imbue a sense of dread and fear into you, the game holds your hand, I think, more than its marketing would lead you to believe. The game doesn't want you to 
uh, kind of throw uh, it away and just cast aside any thoughts of ever playing it again. Uh, although I will say I've not gotten super deep into the final few hours of the game where I know that some people have been having difficulty with some of the latter bosses. Mm-hmm. But I heard uh, that Tori controller I, will help out. Hmm, interesting. I, I will say like the bosses that I have currently played thus far uh, have been a lot of fun. They have been challenging, but I feel like there's just something something in the water at Mercury Steam. They've been able to craft bosses that just have I feel really kind of exquisite like first, second, third phases that really kind of force you to think on your toes and like uh, kind of come up with new strategies on the fly and adapt to these bosses in ways that you couldn't have anticipated going into them. And there are so many instances where you'll come across a powerful new enemy or a new enemy situation. And it's like, oh man, there's no way I can possibly overcome this. And with enough practice, with enough attempts, like eventually, like a few minutes later, you'll be kind of sliding through and there will still be more new, more powerful challenges to come uh, after them that you'll have to contend with. But the game is really good in that way of like kind of teaching you to kind of have faith in yourself and uh, to, you know, pay attention to uh, the enemies that you're confronted with. Mm. Oh, they did the Lords of Shadows games. Yeah. Okay. okay. And it's one of those things where like, you know, those games were not, not super beloved. I'm looking through a Metacritic here. Amongst it's like the Castlevania community. Got like an 85. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, if you go to... I'm just going to... Because it's one of those things where I've actually not really gone to Mercury Steam's Wikipedia in a little while. Like, yeah, so they worked on Lord of Shadow, Lords of Shadow, Mirror of Fate, uh, Lords of Shadow 2. Uh, of those three games... Uh, I think when it was announced that they were working on Metroid Samus Returns, I think a lot of people look to Lords of Shadow, Mirror of Fate the yeah. most uh, to gain perspective on what Samus Returns would be like because that game was way more of a Metroidvania than Lords of Shadow 1 or 2. And by all accounts, that one had been a little bit on the weak side. Um, Colin reviewed that but, game, right? Yeah, he did. Prodigy. Yeah, but... Uh, you know, uh, Metroid Samus Returns definitely, I think, kind of proved people wrong. And now with Metroid Dread, like they've really kind of established themselves as a r- real kind of quality studio. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Actually, I'm curious now because Nintendo has let them do two major games for them. I'm curious if they're going to um, like what that relationship looks like going forward. Are they going to be allowed yeah. to start working on Metroid 6? Whatever that ends up being called. Yeah, I um, like obviously there's a part of me that's like, man, I would love to have Nintendo straight up scoop up Mes- uh, Mercury Steam and buy them, but I feel like that's unlikely to happen. Last year, or maybe it was this year, if I recall correctly, uh, Nintendo scooped up uh, what was it, Level Five, the studio behind Punch Out, Luigi's Mansion yeah. Three. Uh, yeah, they they picked up that studio. And that studio had been working on like quality Nintendo games for years and years and years. So like, I feel like judging by that standard, Mercury Steam has another 10 years of making Metroid Dreads to go before they're also brought into the Nintendo family. Um, but 
putting aside uh, aspirations of Nintendo purchasing them, like, yeah, I definitely do hope that Nintendo continues to collaborate with them on more Metroids. I feel like Metroid Dread's level of success has definitely made that way more of a um, possibility uh, than uh, when Metroid Samus Returns came out. Because Samus Returns was, you know, well-received at the time of its release. It reviewed well, but I think that there was a little bit of how to say it was one of those games where I feel like people kind of turned on it a little bit after its release. People are like, Hmm, I think that I kind of overrated it a little bit because I was just happy that Metroid was back. But looking back on it in retrospect, I feel like maybe I was a little bit too kind of praiseful. And of mm. course, you know, sales wise, that game didn't really move the needle too much, but Metroid dread is like Metroid dread is, I think the, the grand kind of return to form for the series and the kind of financial and critical success that I think that Metroid Samus returns uh, should have been, or people wanted it to be. Yeah. And so I feel like it, from that perspective, yeah, I, I would say that there the chances of them working on another Metroid game are definitely pretty positive. Pretty, I, I would say, I would say that they're pretty, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty in the green. I, I will say, and again, I have not, played through the entirety of metroid dread yet so i don't i've not really kind of gotten a good uh feel for exactly how big this game is and you know where uh such a piece of content could fit into its overall design but i would actually love to see mercury steam release uh, a piece of downloadable content uh for metroid dread perhaps Mm another addition to its story perhaps even just something like a kind of challenge room or like you know something purely aesthetic i think that there's a lot of potential there and actually like i've been thinking about it for the past few minutes i don't think that a metro game has gotten dlc at all in the past no um because the other three were pretty much gamecube games with one on the wii right right yeah Um, and dlc really even on the wii wasn't much of a thing no not really and of course there were no like exclusive metroid games on the wii u and the only metroid game on the 3ds was samus returns which obviously didn't get any dlc for it so yeah i i would hope so i um you know the one i was about to say like the the one kind of like stake uh in my ambitions of metroid dread getting dlc is that you know, there are many other big uh, Nintendo games out there like uh, Super Mario Odyssey, for example, which did not get much nice. in the way of DLC. But even even Mario Odyssey got that like weird VR mode, if you remember. Yeah, I know that uh, makes you sick VR mode, although apparently it's more better than Breath of the Wilds um, hmm. that got put in. Yeah, no, um, I'm trying to think like, but you are seeing Nintendo dabbling in DLC more and more now, like uh, Zelda had DLC, the... Um, Hyrule Warriors both got extra content added into them with Season Pass. Smash had DLC. Um, I'm curious to see if there's something they would do with Metroid Dread at that point um, and what that looks like. Even uh, look at a game like Animal Crossing, which was getting regular updates forever um, and then didn't at all. But we'll see on Friday what that looks like going forward. Yeah, I... Yeah, I'd love I'd love DLC for this game. If they uh if Nintendo comes back with a new uh 
Nintendo Direct in this upcoming January. That's going to be one of my big predictions for this upcoming Nintendo Direct. Ooh. I'm going to 100% tout, yeah, they're going to announce not Metroid for the Game Dread Awards DLC at this. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, hmm. I, by the way, I did want to make a correction. It wasn't level five games. It was uh, next level games. Right. That did Luigi's and, and I was, uh, I was thinking to myself, because there's, there's Factor 5, which worked on the Dragon game for the PlayStation 3 and that mm. Star Wars game for the GameCube. Yes. La- layer. Yes, Layer. Yeah. And then... There's level five, which is the one I erroneously attributed to Luigi's Mansion 3 and Punch-Out, which is the studio that worked on... Uh, Dark Cloud. Ni- and Nino Kuni. Yeah, Nino Kuni, games, uh, right? Yokai Watches, uh, The White Knight yes. Chronicles. There we go. And none of those games, they aren't doing any games that are going to be lo- localized for English now. They're just doing... Yeah, uh, which is too bad. Yeah. Because um, they worked on the the Layton games, and those yeah. games were pretty good. My my kid loves yeah. the Yokai Watch games, so um, and the fact that he can't get any more English ones uh, frustrates him. So, mm. um, but yeah, so next level games. And I was just looking at their gaming history here. So they have Luigi's Mansion Three on our topic. They were actually a producer of a very fine Metroid game. Oh yes. Uh, Metroid Prime Federation Force. Yes. Which I have not yet played. Um, they, they also did Dark Moon for Luigi's Mansion. And then they've got some not greatish games. Uh, Captain America Super Soldier. Uh, I remember that one. That was like one of those tie-in games. I was like, oh, this is totally acceptable. Mm. Uh, apparently a Tom Clancy recon for Wii or Ghost Recon for Wii, Cybertron Adventures. Seems to be they did a lot of like really side games, but when you go back, their original two runs were Super Mario Strikers and Super or Mario Strikers Charge for the GameCube and the Wii. That was their original mm-hmm. Nintendo connection. And then they did many years later a punch out game. And then they did the Luigi's Mansion and Federation Force. So they've they primarily right. worked with Nintendo since 2013 after luigi's mansion's dark moon they haven't done anything since then but it was a little more sporadic before they got there so Hmm. yeah and kind of a i mean it's actually kind of a similar situation with uh mercury steam in that after metroid samus returns they actually put out another game in 2017 called space lords yes i saw that i don't know if you played this one i I, it's a free-to-play game but i don't remember yeah yeah, and it actually, in fact, recently released on the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X uh, back in 2020 as well. Oh. So, yeah, I to go back to the brief discussion we had earlier about Nintendo scooping the studio up, I feel like they would probably have to have a string of just purely Nintendo games before that actually were to maybe happen. But yeah, we'll see. Yep. 100%. So, yeah, I don't know if there are any additional questions or queries that you had about my time with Metroid Dread. Again, I want to, you know, try to keep things spoiler free, but I'm willing to get into as much detail as you want me to get about anything that you want to pry me about. So we talked about the chase scenes. It sounds yeah. like that's much better than I would. I was hoping. So that's good. Um, the bosses are cool. You were saying because you're still early. And how many hours do you think you have left? I don't know. I feel like I'm like either 50 or 60% of the way through the game. There are some pretty major revelations that still have yet to 
come to light, but I've made progress. Okay. I've made progress. Awesome. Um, so progress has been made. That's good. Um, so we've, uh, like, how do you find the weapons comparatively to the, like the weapons in this game versus the old ones? I mean, everything just feels like a lot more kind of slick and polished uh than kind of what you're typically kind of used to the the one kind of major addition that this game adds to samus's arsenal is samus can do this sort of slide movement uh mm -hmm. in order to kind of quickly avoid attacks and it kind of completely changes up the feel of certain kind of combat encounters and just kind of traversing the environment in general um in super metroid and some of the earlier metroids whenever you come across a like a small kind of gap uh, typically you need to kind of go into morphal mode and then uh, kind of slowly make your way underneath the gap and then exit morphal mode. In this game, you can just like slide without even having to change into the morphal. So it's entirely like one sort of smooth, fluid motion. Uh, you can also grip onto um, like indents uh, in the wall. Oh, cool. Uh, as well which is technically not something that this game introduced but you combine that with again your ability to slide your ability to immediately go into morph ball mode um while kind of hanging from a wall uh facing like one of those holes that the morph ball can go into yeah and like some of the other little tweaks that they made to samus's movement like being able to do melee attacks while you're running and like the game just feels real kind of smooth and fluid uh in terms of traversal hmm. it's really quite special in that regard well i'm excited to get to it at some point soon hopefully yeah like i said you, you definitely will want to play a couple of the games first but i also don't want to i don't want you to feel like you have these other games sort of hanging like a noose around your neck before you want to get to it obviously yeah like i said i'm patient and i'm willing to like it's a long game i'm gonna miss the initial conversation on dread anyway so it's fine i'll get to it when i get to it um and uh but yeah no uh i'm excited that at least i get to talk about metroid a little bit this week i had a good time with super metroid and i'm glad to see the like the bones of what this franchise was built on essentially and like what is people consider a seminal game that i just had never completed and somebody who loves metroidvanias that seems like i should have played hmm. how do you um quickly you talk about like missing the conversation around metroid dread uh going into super metroid had you pretty much been spoiled to everything that that game had going on in it honestly no um really can we talk about spoilers of uh, a yeah, 30 sure. year old I'll... game yeah yeah of course hold on let me activate the spoiler graphics real quick here uh yeah sure go for it so at the end, at the very end of the game, you run, an, uh, well, you're chasing after the Metroid you got in Metroid's Return of Samus, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you finally beat Ridley. He's like the fourth major boss and the, you just see the open capsule and he's not there. And then you encounter that when you're finally, you like, you see that four statue place early on with all the bosses on it, and you're like, oh, I know I need to do something here but you don't know what till you beat those four bosses. And then you go back to it and that's where you get your access to mother brain. They kind of tell the story a little bit there. And I, I did not realize that that Metroid was going to try and kill me. Then realize that I'm its mother. 
Wow. So you legitimately did not know about that stuff going into it. No. And you know what's even funnier? I'm fairly certain. Now I want to Google this so I can be 100%. Um, that Nintendo Power actually published. Because uh, did you ever read Nintendo Power when you were a kid? Uh, n- not as much. I did have a few Nintendo Powers, but it was not something that I subscribed to on a monthly basis. So I, I got Nintendo Power monthly. Um, and yeah, okay, it does look like this exists and I am not crazy. So they did um, a Super Metroid comic in Nintendo Power. That was yes. like six issues, I think. I think it did tell yeah. the bit of the tale. Now that we're going back to it, I yeah. think it did tell a bit of the tale of what happened here, but I completely forgotten about the Metroid um, and I think in Samus was its mom and going to like, and basically she saves you at the end and stops mother brain from killing you. Um, right. And then you kind of get the super rainbow power. Uh, like the Metroid's powers become yours and you can blast. Um, uh, you can blast like mother brain away it's pretty easy at that point yeah um the 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 super metroid comic is one of those weird comics that was made before like a lot of the kind of lore and continuity of the metroid universe was super set in stone yeah so for example samus has like purple hair in the comic which is like not even accurate to like her hair color in the original metroid where it was green and then they, they actually introduce like another bounty hunter in the comic who's like a guy with like a blue power suit. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those one of those things where it's like at the time they gave him a power suit that looks very similar to Samus's power suit because it's like, well, makes sense that they would all have like similar ish looking power suits. But it's actually established in later Metroid lore after Super Metroid that like the power suit Samus has is like very unique and specific to the culture that she got the suit from. And it would actually not make sense that this guy would have something so similar looking because it was just sort of the wild west of them kind of trying things out during that era. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'd actually love to give this a reread now. Um, yeah. The, the guy with the blue power suit, by the way, called Armstrong Houston. It's a good name. beloved non-canonical Metroid character. So, yeah, I definitely remember reading this as a kid. I think they did take elements from Super Metroid and put it was the comic was called Super Metroid. Um, So and I think that's ironically where I knew most of my story. I didn't realize it kicked into this, but um, and the way it told the ending was very cinematic. Uh, So, yeah, no, um, that's kind of what caught me by surprise there not being spoiled. Like I knew like obviously Ridley's in the game, you know, Ridley's like. Mm-hmm. and he's your first encounter in the game really um when you're on that initial ship before it crashes um and goes back down to the planet but you know ridley's going to be there i remembered um that boss that you need to fire missiles at to knock him off the edge mm-hmm. uh what's his name craid there's craid uh, craid is like the big green uh, that's the big like guy that shoots the things guy. out he, he like takes up two yeah. screens of space to beat um yes. then it's not crate it's like a mini boss but you have to like shoot missiles at him to knock him off the bridge oh hmm it's been a little while there's oh wait a minute i think i know is he is he like red in color no i think he was green maybe he's red maybe he's red i'm 
I only played this like two Hold days a ago. Second. I, I feel real sappy search Google searching Super Metroid bosses in, in the middle of this podcast. But there's so yeah, there's Ridley. Uh there is uh the uh Fantuzo statue, which is the uh like uh Chozo statue that comes to life and attacks you. Mm-hmm. Um there's the spore spawn, which is like that spore fungus creature that like attacks you early on in the Oh, game. the Crocomire. It is the red one. Crocomire. Yeah, cr- Crocomire. Yeah, that's the that's the the red guy. Yeah. He's actually kind of has like a fun infamous reputation in the Metroid community because it, depending on like what exploits you use when you play Super Metroid, you can actually bypass his boss battle entirely. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. You can't bypass the other four bosses because you need to beat them to access Mother Brain Slayer, but you can bypass him if you actually play the game well. Huh. Interesting. Um, yeah, no, he's... Uh, um, yeah, I remember that. Like, I remember that you had to beat him by knocking him off the edge with the things. Um, and just some of the generic, like, once you got, like, the screw attack and what we had, like, like, how you could use some of the weapons. Although I completely forgot that there was an x-ray option. So even combining your super jumps and your boosts and stuff, man, Crocomire is a pretty ugly character. He actually, uh, there's a Crocomire cameo in Donkey Kong Country Returns, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah. There's like a brief part in one of the factory levels where you can see like a a piece of metal or something that looks like Crocomire's silhouette. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. So anyways um all right i um so i i do want to just to kind of briefly loop things back around to metroid spoilers like first off amazing that you were not spoiled on what happened at the end of that game great that you're able to experience that for the first time Mm -hmm. um to kind of briefly talk about my experience with metroid dread spoilers it's been real challenging because on twitter i have metroid as one of my like suggested topics that i want to see more tweets of and so i see people tweeting about metroid all the time and while i have not been spoilt to some of the more crazy late game stuff that happens in the game i have seen a lot of people talking around it and hearing what they've been talking about it's kind of it's got me into this weird headspace where i've been like oh man i haven't been spoiled about it but i feel like I've almost been spoiled mm. just the way that they've kind of talked around it. Um, I actually had a very close call though, where I played most of my time with Metroid Samus or uh, not Metroid Samus returns Metroid dread on Thanksgiving Monday here in Canada. Yep. And uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, it was getting pretty late. Uh, I was thinking to myself, you know what? I should probably go to bed soon so I can, uh, you know, get up on time for work tomorrow and I decided, you know what? Nope, I'm just going to continue to power through. I'm going to just play a little bit more. Um, played a little bit more. Got to uh, a pretty lengthy cutscene with some pretty like significant pieces of exposition. Um, and once that cutscene completed, I was like, all right, that I think is enough for today. I feel like that was a good kind of ending point for my time with uh, metroid dread for this weekend put the game down uh went up to my room to go to bed uh open twitter to just you know doom scroll for a little bit you know as is customary yeah uh and total happenstance somebody 
had tweeted out a tweet on my feed that specifically explicitly spoiled that scene in the game that I had literally oh. just experienced like 10 minutes before. Now, here's the thing. Yep. Here's the thing. The person that spoiled that specific scene that I had just experienced uh, did not do so maliciously. Yep. Uh, again, trying to remain spoiler free. It was one of those instances where the person was like, hey, I've loved Metroid for quite some time. And I was so delighted to finally be able to work on Metroid Dread. And this is the cutscene where you got to see uh, what I did in this game at play. Gotcha. And so it was okay. one of those tweets. I still feel like the person maybe should have held off on a few days of posting that maybe, you know. Yep. But, I mean, again, it, it was done from a place of genuineness. So I do understand that. But I am glad that I didn't spoil myself. Because that would have, it would have sucked to have spoiled myself to that scene accidentally. Uh, if I had not experienced it beforehand. No, completely fair. Well, that's a lot of Metroid talk. Hell yeah, it was. Uh, I am real excited to get back to Metroid Dread and see it through to completion. I really need to kind of ramp things up because sooner or later, I'm just going to entirely spoil myself to everything that happens in the game. Uh, But until then, until that should happen, uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning into this episode of Press YZ. Uh, If you enjoyed this broadcast, be sure to follow us on Twitch, subscribe to us on YouTube, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can also check us out on Twitter at Press YZ and slide into our Discord at invite.gg slash Press YZ to keep the conversation going. My name is Alexander Kazina. This has been Nathan McInerney. Yep. And until next time, we want to thank you for playing.